0: You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, aka Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin.
1: Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. We got a great one today with James Simpson.
2: Ex-soldier turned
1: England wheelchair rugby star, grindstone athlete, and World
2: Cup champion. James joined us in episode 519 way back in July 2021 when he was gearing up for this World Cup but it was scheduled for back then.
1: So now we got 18 extra months of training that certainly did pay off. It's amazing to hear him talk about not only maneuvering the cart, but how he uses the training to especially connect with his trunk work to actually make him a more efficient athlete out there on the pitch. Yeah. So we talk skill, we talk training and we talked the, the heart and mind of a champion. It's a great one. Yeah. No, this is a killer podcast and a great follow-up. So Tune in, excited to hear about the World Cup, and more importantly, James Simpson. So, I mean, congrats, congratulations on winning the Cup. Um, I, dude, I, yeah, I mean, we've been you know kind of plugged in on this side. Unfortunately, there's probably not a lot of coverage for it here in the United States, but uh, congratulations. So, for those of you guys that don't know, if you'd like to give the people a little introduction on it, and more importantly, uh, I mean, it's it, I know on our last podcast we got into a ton on uh, – on your sport and also with rugby. So, I mean, we showed some clips and whatnot, but man, it's uh, it's intense to watch.
0: It's, it's ace that you've been watching it as well. Um, like the, the first time in history we've had all our games televised and the final we had against France, there was 1.2 million people tuned in to watch, which for us is just absolutely amazing to know. It's, it's history for us, but yeah. So we've just had the, the Rugby League World Cup. Um, first time in history, the men's, Uh, The women's and the wheelchair tournaments all ran simultaneously, so 61 games all televised live on BBC. Um, All the press, the coverage, the participation fees, the everything that goes on behind the scenes was equally matched between the three tournaments. So, like we did everything the men's team did, the women did the same, you know. And yeah, we stormed through the group stages, semi-final destroyed Wales and then came up against France in the final, which if you were a betting man, that's what you'd say the final was going to be. And, and we beat them, 77th minute, scored the winning try. You know, absolutely jubilant celebrations, you know, years and years and years of hard work and sacrifice put down into an 80-minute kind of battle. But yeah, the wheelchair of the League World Cup. Yes, it's I've, I've, the last trophy I had to tick off in my career and I've done it. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with that.
1: Nice. Uh, dude, so, uh, give us a little play by play. I mean, um, like you said, the, the 77th minute, I mean, so the, the game came down to the very end, but was it a pretty even match up until that point or how did it go?
0: Yeah. So, so we were in group B, no group A down in London
1: and France were in group
0: B up in Sheffield. And both of us went undefeated in our group stages, like huge score lines. We, we, um, both ran away with it. And when you, coming up against each other in the final, we've never beaten France or France have never beaten us by more than like two or four points, like an unconverted try or a penalty. So, so they're always really close games. And we knew this game was going to be won or lost on two by four points. And there was never a moment we didn't think we could do it in the game. I think it ended 28, 26, which is, which is a really healthy low score. But yeah, so what, like, France got a penalty in the first couple of minutes and they opted to kick for two, so they got the two points from the penalty goal. And at that point we were like, that's fine. That's more of a reflection on our defense, really. If they're having a kick for two, they're not they're not backing themselves to come at us and run us or push us. And then like we scored, they scored the usual kind of tit for tat thing. But by half time, I think it was 14-12 to them. So still going in at half time, we were like, no, we're two points down, but we've got this. The game plan's set. We're sticking it to how we are. It's always two or four points, always two or four points. And then we went even 24-24 with three minutes to go. And we got the ball back in their half, right on their line. And it wasn't even a spectacular try or a a really sexy-looking try or anything. It was just a really simple, everyone's tired. We're in the 77th minute. Someone slightly steps the wrong way in the chair, moves the wrong way. Our player sees the gap, boom, straight through. You know, drop of the shoulder, scores under the sticks. And that's three minutes to go. And at that point, you've got the conversion. That's a minute. Then they kick off, and then at that point, you're counting. You're like, we get set, they get set. Can we defend a set? Can we hold them out? So you start doing the maths, and then, yeah, and then we got to the 80th minute, and there was four and a half thousand people there, which is a world record for our sport, just screaming in the last few minutes and like screaming for England, like being the home country as well. It was absolutely amazing. And when that final whistle went, you heard the whole stadium just. Oh, and it was in it's inside an arena, obviously. So the, the sound was just echoing back at you. But yeah, mate, it was years and years, and it's not an understatement of hard work came down to that that eighty minute period where it was all on the line, and you knew like when that final whistle went, the emotion that just came out of everyone was huge. Like a lot of grown men crying, a lot of grown men crying, then crying again, and then stopping crying and crying again. Uh, but yeah, it it yeah, mate, it was incredible, and. and the game's still on BBC now, so I've watched it back like ten times. Do you know? Nice. Like, mate,
1: where uh, where did you guys play?
0: So our group stage, we were down in London.
1: But uh, like, what's the facility? Like, like I I know you guys play kind of on like a hard court, yeah. uh, like basketball. Um, you know, obviously they you know rugby's played on grass. So you guys, but you know, with the wheelchairs, like there's no cutting on grass. So was it like a basketball stadium or?
0: Yeah, so the the group stages was amazing. We played in the Copper Box Arena, which, if you remember back to like the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics, that's where um, like basketball was, wheelchair basketball. It's where like some of the tennis games were, you know, the in, inside ones. So there's a huge, specially made arena for the 2012 Paralympics, which were which was huge over here. And so we were in that, and that's such an iconic venue when you think of indoor sports in England. The Copper Box stands out above anything, and it's part of the uh, the World Cup Park, so you've got like the role, like the we're all the cycling was the velodrome, where the, the the aquatic center for swimming and and the the um the athletic stadium. It's all in this this one little, well, one little. It's like it's huge, but it's arena area. So you've got all these different sports facilities. So we were in the iconic copper box, which was in that, and it was huge to be there. Like in 2012, I went to watch wheelchair basketball there, and that. That was the start of my journey as a sportsman. I kind of saw wheelchair basketball and was like, I need to get into a wheelchair sport here. I need to do it. I need to be part of a sports team. And then 10 years later, I'm in there playing, representing my country, singing my national anthem, You know, going up against the other best countries in the world. And for me, it was full circle. It was amazing. And 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 they'd done the pitch. So it's indoors. It's a court, but because it's rugby, really, we still call it pitch. Some people call it field as well, like, even though it's in, indoors. But, it was all decked out, you know, like the, the proper lines, the markings, the the logos, everything, the BBC cameras. And then and by the time we got to the final, they'd just hired out this huge, iconic warehouse in the middle of Manchester. And they'd imported four and a half thousand seats, imported the ground, imported everything and just built up this indoor stadium just in this warehouse in the middle of one of the oldest cities in the in the country. Do you know, like it cost like, like 30 grand for them to do, but they did it just for that one night, that one tournament, like, the world cup final. So mate, we, we've, I'm used to playing in sports halls in front of 20 people, 30 people to go out there against three, four world record breaking crowds in order. It was absolutely amazing. Mind blowing for the sport, for us, for yeah, mate, I don't know where, it's, I'm just tell me it's short, mate, cause I will just keep talking about this. It was absolutely incredible. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal.
1: No, it sounds amazing. Uh, any, Uh, technical difficulties. I know that uh, wheelchairs break and like things come apart, anything happen like that. That's like the, uh, uh, like when we were watching the clips, the one that blew me away is just seeing like the wheelchairs explode and then like the people run out and bring up a new one. And it's like, okay, you get back in your buggy. Let's go.
0: It's the wheels. Yeah. So your tires pop, like your wheelchairs, like my wheelchair costs five and a half thousand pounds. You know, it's the tip of the spear of the wheelchairs and all the England team have got chairs paid for by sponsors and things. But, it's the wheels. So the only thing that can come on and off with these chairs is the wheels. So you get tyres that'll pop. You'll get tyres that'll bend. Uh, so yeah, like in one of the games we were playing, Spain, I took a hit and my tyre just went boom. And it's like a gunshot going off in this arena. And then straight away someone comes running on with a, another tyre, another wheel. pops yours off. Fresh one straight on. Pat on the back. Off you go. Do you know they're the they're the, they're the slowest parts of the game. Is when something like the game doesn't stop if you get smashed out of your chair. The game doesn't stop if you fall over or smash the floor the game stops when someone's tire needs fixing oh. they're the only breaks in the game really the technical stuff the rest of it you just get up and go
1: yeah it's like a it's like an indie pit crew
0: yeah exactly mate yeah they're just like we have behind the mm-hmm. scenes we have spare wheels packed piled up spare tires we have like a toolbox like three foot tall that goes everywhere with us that gets wheeled behind it's just full of kit and equipment and and that they're, they're all the little one percenters that go on behind the scenes that you don't see just the the toolboxes and the spare wheels and the spare tires that get carted with us everywhere we go, mate. Wow.
1: Um, You know, I mean, you said this journey really started 10 years ago, especially with going and seeing the wheelchair basketball. Um, You know, since last time we spoke, I mean, this cycle that you've been training for has been what, two, four years?
0: Four years. So the last world cup was in 2017. And then this one was supposed to be last year. Then it got delayed for a year with COVID. So it's, it's like a four or five year cycle, but um, like really ramped up in the last couple of years, especially last year when we thought the World Cup was going ahead. You, you couldn't take your eye off the ball with it. And there was only 11 people going to the World Cup. So out of all the athletes in this country, you had to make that 11. So you, couldn't, you didn't have the opportunity to drop off because someone else would have taken your spot. And me being 36, I'm one of the older guys in the team as well. So I'm fighting against... Like twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three-year-olds to to get to make a cut for the team, let alone to play playing the game. So, yeah, the cycle's been four or five years. Um, do you know, like mostly on with a little bit of off, but especially the past two or three years, mate. It's been it's been pretty full on. It's
2: amazing. Yeah, we connected July twenty twenty one, and essentially leading up to that moment. But here we are. But I think the year and a half extra. I mean. Did you feel that paid off? Because you got more training time dialed in hugely.
0: Yeah, that the so w- last year we ended up having a so the World Cup we had two test match series against the French. So they flew over and we played them twice, and we lost both of them. Um, one of them quite badly as well. But we needed to play them to to gauge where we needed to be, and if we'd have gone ahead last year, I don't think I think they'd have got the better of in the World Cup. But playing and Last year, we learned all the things we needed to work on. And the things we were doing that weren't working, we needed to kind of get rid of them. So the extra year and a half gave us things we needed to work on, things we needed to shift. Like, we came out of that test series against France knowing we could get 35% better, where they probably came out thinking we could only get 5% better. So we got better and we got used to the big games and we structured our whole regular season at home. We structured that in such a way so our best athletes we're getting big game exposure kind of domestically. So then when we got to the World Cup and we were in the final, we were used to it. We were used to television cameras. We were used to the crowds. We were used to this kind of atmosphere where they weren't used to that as much. So we made sure our best players played in huge games earlier in the year. So we were ready to go out there and face them. For me personally, the extra time it gave me was was massive. Like I changed the way I played quite a bit. So on an older player, I became more of a, like I'd take the early carriage and set the game up. So it gave me a chance to change how I play a bit and just to get like, just get stronger and change, um, change my body type a bit. We, we do testing every three months where we do like VO2 max testing, uh, DEXA scanners, you know, resting heart rate. So we do that. We do blood testing. So you're doing that every three months. So you are get a gauge of where you need to be. So you start learning your ideal body weight and your muscle mass and things like that. So, it gave us time to really deep dive into all that, so each player could tailor how they needed to be physically ready for the World Cup. So, so all that came together with an extra year and a half. Like, yeah, it was, it was. We, we covered every box.
1: Is it? Um, I mean, does it come down to strength? Uh, does it come down to conditioning? I mean, capacity. I mean, like, like what? Uh, like, what separates it? I mean, obviously, there's a, a technical skill associated with, you know, moving the wheelchair and understanding the sport. But like in terms of physical. Uh, you know, measurable skills? Is it like, uh, you know, the ability to hit the, you know, like hit the wheels in terms of speed and being able to sprint? Or is it just that, you know, 80 minutes is extremely long to be able to do this and there's no fucking breaks. So now it's like conditioning capacity thing becomes the limiting factor.
0: You're going to love this. It's power. It's All uh, about power.
1: Well, that's what I was hoping you were going to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you can, the 80 minutes is one thing, but it's, it, we always say it's about two or three first pushes. So you want to push, push, push. And then, like for me, for example, I move the chair, you're not using my hands. So you really want to, you need three really strong, really hard, really powerful pushes. So your chair's already in motion. So then your hands are free to catch and receive the ball. So you need that power to boom, boom, boom. And it's not so much the, you won't push your chair again then, unless you make a line break. Because chances are someone's going to stop you or you're going to hit another chair. So it's more those first three pushes need to be hard and need to be pushed at max, basically max. So when we do our speed testing, we have um, everything set up with the the, the lasers every four metres, and it's mostly your one to eight metres is what the test. You don't really care about your, your 20 metre or your 30 metre. It's about those short metre markers. So you need to be at full pelt as you hit that player who's about to hit you the ball. So it's about the... The, the conditioning to last 80 minutes, that's not as... Um, like concerning in international games, like for my home club, I'll play like 80 minutes, but then in England, you get interchanged because the depth, we've got like 11 players or 10 players on match day. So you, like, I don't think I played more than 40 minutes a game, so I can play 80. But when you're, when you know you're only playing 40, you can focus so much more on the power and things like that because you know, like you don't need to have anything in the tank 77 minutes in because you're gonna be off in 40 minutes.
2: Yeah. yeah, how does subbing work in the sport? So in soccer, you get one, and then you're out. And then in hockey, lacrosse, we can just exchange real quick. So is that similar? Does the, the game stop, and then you make subs like football?
0: No, you, you do it on the move. So as long as you um, – I don't know how much you know about rugby league, but as long as you're on an onside position, you can come on. So you get behind your team, player off, player on, do you know, all like on the fly. Like You do it as quick as you can sometimes because there's not a break in play the ball might be in play and there's no break. So suddenly you might literally pull someone off and like, right, you're off mate, next one on. And someone will go on and replace you and you can make um, up to 10 in a game, but nobody makes more than six because you you can't change your play. You can't take your plays off that much because you'll lose like your intuition in the game. So you can make up to 10, but you don't really make more than six.
2: Is it all sub from midfield, like one zone, one box that you need to sub from, or can you move up and down the sideline? So you match where the ball is. Move up and down,
0: yeah. That's as long cool. as you're behind, going on behind your team. So what you'll do is if someone's coming off, you'll replace them when you're in attack. Because um, you can't do it defensively because then there's going to be a gap. So yeah. you'll, you'll work your player to the edge. So if they're coming off, you'll be like, switch, switch. So you'll work them to the edge tactically so they're on the wing. And then when the ball's going up, you'll just yank them off. And as soon as they cross the line, you can go on. But if you get, if one of you goes on before the others, like in most sports, you'll get penalized for it. And but it's like, you can do it anywhere on the field, as long as you're behind your team going forward. So you're on the side, you can't come on behind the opposition or anything like that. You've got to get, get behind your guys and it's all fast. It's free flowing.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. I didn't know that. And this is some of the fights that we uh, battle with different sports for power that we need to train power versus logging the miles, the endurance. Because, you know, they, they have uh, something on their belt that says, hey, you covered X amount of kilometers in this match. Then we need to go run that. No, 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 no. We need to sprint. We need power. We need speed. We need those first three goes. Like, th- that's a battle we continue to fight with sport coaches. And glad to hear you co-sign. Hey, it's all about that one, two, three push. And then I can get a rest for my next opportunity. to.
1: Well, the other issue is uh, when you're in the chair, especially when they're pushing, it's all concentric. So I remember that was something as I was watching it, I'm thinking, like, man, like, where's the eccentric load? I mean, you think so about... for like, our
2: listeners, John, that uh, are not tracking on those three muscle contractions. Uh,
1: like, But, I mean, think about, like, when um, we're doing, like, a salt bike sprint. Uh, we use, you know, the air bikes a ton with our athletes. And the reason I like it is because it's so concentric. There's no eccentric load. So we can almost just try to, like, pin the heart rates and, and it actually we're able to get them to recover day-to-day because there is no eccentric load.
2: Yeah, and so concentric is is the push. It's the power. It's the, the bench. If I'm bench pressing, it's the bar coming off of my chest. With the, the wheelchair and the bikes, as John's speaking, there's no coming down force. I don't
1: have to stop and reduce force. Yeah, It's just go, go, go. Well, so when they're going forward, they drive their hands, but then also you guys have, like, they use gloves and, like, there's braking mechanisms, so they're, like, constantly, you know, like... M- that was a cool thing is the change of direction where it was like, can you see the fucking whole like uh, wheelchair just kind of like move? I mean, it's, it's intense to watch, uh, you know, and uh, yeah. you know, until, and you know, rightfully so until we had you on the podcast the first time, I mean, we watched a little bit of it uh, just in, in prep for it. But then once we get done, I was like, dude, let's watch more of this. And just like, holy shit, dude, not only are these dudes shooting each other like missiles and trying to knock each other out of the uh, murder ball. Yeah. I mean, out of their chairs, but just the ability to be able to, you know, maneuver these things in and out. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It kind of reminds me of like uh if you guys were like London taxis trying to fucking jockey in and out of uh, different positions in, in rush hour traffic.
0: Well, I said before, like when you've, the, the tactics and things that go into it, it's, it's so in, intricate, especially at the top level. But you'll see, like for me, when I push, I'll get my few, first few pushes and it's all my, like my, my trunk. So I move the chair with my trunk. So all the things I do, my like like um, lateral med ball throws and things like that. It's also when I've got the ball in the hand, I can move the whole chair just using my body. And then you don't push the the chair unless you, you get a line break. But nine times out of ten, my role is just to smash into someone. So I've got the ball. It's to fix someone, then using my body to, to move my chair to slightly come out and then come back in so I can fix two defenders. And then someone with pace and speed who's weighs half I do but is a lot faster can come in off of what I do with the ball next and then hit that gap behind so for me it's the, the thing with my hips and my rotations is I can tie two people in at once by fixing one and then going out and then putting down and then another player coming in and I can cut back in and I can do all that without using my hands because I've already got the speed I've already got the power gone I've got the ball two of them are on me and then it's just play the ball and then someone's coming on um, and then like the power in the pushing is once you've taken your pushes and you've got the ball there's only fivers on the pitch so you've got to rotate round and then be ready to go again so that like you get a rest but the rest is as long as it takes for you to turn around and come back and then you're off again if you needed so you might be taking a carry and getting hit playing the ball and then you'll go rejoin the like the edge of the place so if there's a shift you're ready to get it and then to, to, to kind of to finish it if you need to so constantly rotating and filling in and getting back in there and it's all about those that initial push and that power.
1: Uh, what would you say the most common uh, injury is? Is it like overuse stuff, hands, arms, elbows, shoulders? Shoulders. Yeah, shoulders and neck. Like I say to people, it's
0: it's not the first, first, second, third hits. It's the 35th and the 40th where you're on the pitch and then you start like, like cricking your neck and you can feel the whiplash of just getting hit repeatedly. That, it's the next that take a hit, but then the shoulder's like your shoulders get, like everyone's got rotator cuff injuries. You know, everyone, you can see everyone just sat there and they're all going like, like rolling the shoulders, trying to get it to click and pop. And like when people retire and look back, it's going to be the shoulders where a lot, a lot, where a lot of the problems lie. But actually in game, considering how hard the chairs are hitting and how hard you can get hit and go flying out. You don't really get many injuries. Like you don't get like over my 10 years, all I've done is like dislocating my thumb, um, Mm -hmm a fracture in my forearm, like a hairline fracture and like really actual injuries. You don't get that many when you think you're going to get a few more from people in metal chest smashing each other and flying out, but the actual injuries don't really, there's not many, not many really.
2: I think that's a testament to your training on Grindstone, Power Athletes, most flexible
1: (laughs) program. Uh, Well, and, and it also makes me think of different things we need to incorporate into the program. Like, we've been working on, like, a lot of, like, like lateral-type movement, especially we do a bunch of teapots, but even hooking up bands and doing some, like, banded-resisted teapot stuff, which, um, you know, whenever I write this, especially Grindstone, especially for the trunk, uh, you know, I think of, like, different athletes that are doing it, you being one of them, and then actually, like, thinking, like, how is James going to execute this one, you know, like uh, like, sitting on a bench or sitting there and being able to, like, use the kettlebell in terms of a teapot. And then some of that stuff, but even like the med ball, I mean, that's that rotation to be able to throw this way is, I mean, it's so underutilized for power development within the, you know, the confines of the internet, but uh, it pays such good dividends, especially for developing athleticism and power.
2: Yeah. And those, those three planes, as John introduces that rotation, that's called the transverse plane. And that's one of the most lacked planes of motion in training because you know the sagittal plane that's everything you can do in a squat rack, everything you can do in a doorway, and it's
1: where we're strongest. So athletes, and and it makes the sexiest video. You know, if you're gonna shoot if you're gonna shoot Instagram I don't know, know. I've seen James whipping around in rotation that ball against the wall. Well I like to see that because it's actually athletes doing athletic things in different you know, planes of motion, different spaces in a different environment, which I dig. Just seeing somebody do, you know, hip thrusts yeah. for hours mm-hmm. on, in the gym, ah, it's, it's not really my bag.
2: I like it. I also admire the frontal plane, which Stu McGill calls the injury prevention plane. That's mm-hmm. where injuries come when it's a, a blindside hit. So yeah. if James has got his eyes up field, up pitch, and then somebody comes from the side, he's strong enough to protect against that that
1: lateral force coming in. Well, that, uh, that's what happened in the NFL. Um, the majority of injury mechanisms I found for the back were when a guy was blocking a dude, and then he ended up getting loaded from the side or got hit when he wasn't seeing people, and then he gets loaded this way and then comes back. I mean, the amount of back injuries and, like, hip and weird things that I saw just from that, like, side to the point where uh, I started incorporating so much lateral or, I mean, really, sorry, frontal plane-type movements because I knew that was the injury mechanism I saw over and over again. Guys' hips were here, and then they got loaded. And, um, man, that was like diss and a ton of stuff. So In rugby league,
0: so in the running version of rugby league, like our kind of uh, parent sport, they they clamp down on that so much because you're getting your halfbacks, like the the two guys controlling the pitch. They'll be putting cross-field kicks. Someone will just come in and shoulder as they're putting a kick in and just smash those open ribs as they kick the ball. So they've had to step in quite harshly disciplinary-wise to be like, if someone's already kicked the ball, even by – a fraction of a second, and they're total, total relaxed, like right, with one leg in the air, they'll, they'll penalize for them because people just started targeting kickers. So they'll kick, and then some big guy will come in and put a shot on the ribs and absolutely destroy someone. <laughs> and then they'll be like, right, you can't do that because that's going to kill someone. <laughs>
1: how, does the mechanism, uh, how does the mechanism for the kick work? I mean, obviously, the lower extremities aren't kicking the ball. So, it, I mean, it's kind of a punch.
0: Yeah, it's a close fist. It has to be controlled and a close fist because if you just wheel along and knock it with your fist, that's a knock on. You know, you've lost control of the ball. You've knocked it forward, which obviously you can't do in rugby league. So it's got to be a control out of the fist. And you can do anything. You, just, you can put cross field kicks in, grubber kicks. You take penalty conversions. You take dropouts. You know, field goals. You can do all that. It's just all a close fist. So that's and anything like in the running game of rugby league, as I'd say. So for, for I should really say so. Like wheelchair rugby, league, we follow all the laws of the game of rugby league as, as close as we can. So in rugby league you can a kick's two points. So we do the same. We have a foot high kicking tee which comes on and goes an extra wheelchair and then you use your fist to kick that. Or if you take a kick in field, um, it's a close fist and all your players need to be behind you on side, like you do in the running game. So anything that is in the laws of the game for the running game of rugby league, we've just converted into the into wheelchair. And everything's the same that we can do, you know? And, and it makes it so the fans watching, like these 1.2 million people who turned in to watch that final. Well, if they've never seen it before, they will instantly get it as rugby league. They will mm-hmm. instantly recognize the sport, just be it in wheelchairs because it, it's what they're used to seeing, but just in, in metal wheelchairs inside.
2: One of the talking points we had last time you were on episode 519 for listeners, if you want to check it out is you, you were training solo, you were grindstone, you were killing it. And did you, over these uh, 18 months, were you able to pull more dudes in because they saw your success on the pitch carry over to get the whole team on training?
0: Yeah, it was really tricky, those early stages. Um, about 2020 into 2021, because of the restrictions we had over here, we were all having to train solo. So I was really lucky that my, the guy who owns my gym was going in and doing like Zoom classes and things like that because I train at like a CrossFit place. And I just get there at half six in the morning and train by myself um just it, it's quite tricky and mentally it's quite tough to get there and do it and luckily we had like our elite waivers from the government so we could train and then everyone was training their own little style but then you could see over time when people this extra year and a half we had people when we finally got together and we could train um you could see things creeping in so the med balls crept in the speed of pushing barbells that crept in a bit more that the idea of like just heavy loads like slow and that was kind of dying out a bit people started getting shift a shift on or or we'd be um doing like three heavy reps weight off three speed reps to know the speed was creeping in a bit more as well so people were starting to realize that lateral movement but then also the speed of moving not just shifting the weight it was like boom we'll do three heavy i think it was because of the testing we were doing like all the decks scanning scanning and the you know, two maxing and, and the everything that was coming off the back of that, people realized they needed to be a bit leaner and a bit faster and what weight they needed to be. So they realized training had to change to fit that. And that's where the speed kind of came in a lot more. And we did a lot of the, um, like your pull and push tests, you know, attached to the computer. So it tells you kind of your max push and pull. So then training kind of tailored around that as well. But yeah, it kind of, reps dropped. So people would be doing less reps, heavier, shifting that and then, Um, I can't remember where we cut off, but then the weight would be coming off and then it'd be just move the barbell as fast as you can to kind of, to get that extra load from it for the speed for pushing your wheels. And um, when you're pushing your chair, like when you watch the games, you're not grabbing your wheels. You're just pushing, you're punching the wheel Mm -hmm. so that the power's coming from like a punch motion, not from a grab motion. So anything you're doing with that speed forward, there's no point going slow. It needs to be fast and it needs to be done with power and with speed. So, that definitely crept in a lot with training and the lateral stuff, the lateral stuff, people swear by it. And I've been banging that drum for ages, but now people are starting to get on board with the lateral movements. And for me, that's more important than the the heavy lifting. You've being able to be more flexible and adaptive on the pitch. And that's where a lot of those med balls comes from.
1: So when you actually, it's not a grab on the tire, you guys are just kind of smashing your hand and shooting it forward.
0: Yeah, exactly. You're like, you're lent forward and you're kind of punching down so you're punching, so you're not actually grabbing them. If, if you are grabbing them, it's more, you, if you're going to turn, because you're just pushing, you're just pushing. There's no like actual grabbing. And when we get people in chairs for the first time, that's how they push. So they'll be really upright with the shoulders, and then they'll be doing little pushes just with their arms instead of putting their whole body from your like, trunk all the way up to your shoulders, your whole body into that motion to push the chair. They, they push very rigid and very high. Using the hands instead of it's it's each push isn't it's everything. Each push mm-hmm. starts from your hips all the way up. Like when I get off, it's my ass that hurts because yeah. my bum cheeks hurt from moving my, my chair a lot. So every push you do in every motion motion is a full body movement. It has to be to generate that power instead of just a, a shoulder or a, an arm thing. It comes from you can feel it right in your legs and, and when you push down all the way up, and, and you've got to incorporate that into training by just being the. Adaptive and flexible, and, and being able to move in different planes because once you get in that chair, you're going to move every direction you can think.
2: This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most
1: immersive strength
2: training app experience on the market.
1: We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to PowerAthleteHQ.com slash
2: training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to TrainHeroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. HQ. And now back to the show.
1: Do you feel that the training has made you more connected to you know the lower body in terms of like, now you're sitting in this chair? And um, the one thing when you brought, actually brought it up about the AC joints, like as I saw people push forward, there's like a lot of, rotation this way, which looks like, just looking at it looks like it hurts my shoulders, but I wonder, <laughs> yeah, well, no, they're like shooting it forward. And there's this kind of motion. I'm like, Oh God. But, uh, as you've done more of the training and in the chair, like the whole kind of like lower extremity, especially within the trunk has to feel more connected than it did.
0: Yeah, it does. It massively does. Cause you're, when you're strapped into that chair, every little subtle mo- movement you do, will generate a response from the chair. These are five and a half thousand pounds worth of kit. Do you know? I don't know what that is over there, but
1: no, okay. Knows. Expensive. Yeah. Nobody knows. Uh, how much, should, uh, well, the chairs are all, yeah. I mean, the chairs are all bitching carbon fiber. I mean, they're like tip of the spear. I think you use that word, which is exactly what it is, but like carbon fiber, all these different, um, you know, space age, uh, metals to go in and make these things. And they're super light. I mean, what do they weigh?
0: A couple of grams, kilograms, probably five kilograms max. Some of them. Until you put the wheels on it might be a little bit more. But yeah, so you're so strapped into your chair that you've got to be so in tune with your body to move it. Because I can just sit there totally upright and I can just push down on my left my left like hamstring and my left glute and the chair will move. Because you've got to work all that. Like I think it's it's maybe earlier on in my career and people who are getting into wheelchair sports now think it's all your shoulders, so they'll just train that kind of that plane or that, that, that strength, there's overhead pressing and overhead pressing is one of the less used things because you're playing this way, it's not, you're not going up, you need to be going forwards and so then, but they'll kind of focus on the heavy lifting stuff instead of being like, no, you need to be able to just dip left and dip right using you, you, like what your lower body or, or what you've got left of it, if in my case, if you got stepped on a bone, then, so you've got a you've got to do that. So I do loads of like, just seated IDLs and things like that, you know, just, sitting, going forward, getting my lower back, getting my glutes strong. So then when I'm in a chair, I can move the chair without even using my arms. And it's something I I'll do. I'll, I'll go to a sports hall and sit at one end and not touch my wheels. I will just start off from scratch using my lower body to move the chair and then I will move forward. And then before you know it, I can do – I'm at pace. And I've got pace there before I'm actually bringing the rest of my body into it. So that that's something that I learned quite late on is you need to be working everything. Like you know, and that's when my game really started stepping up in the past years. When I started doing a lot of those kind of lower limb things that, that I wasn't doing before.
2: Yeah, the
1: I mean, wheeling in the chair—that's that's as much a skill as it is passing. Well, uh, so, is there suspension? I mean, uh, you know, like. I'm always geeked out on like the technology piece, but like the way the wheels work, I mean the fact that you can sit in there and kind of go back and forth this way and actually start generating motion and being able to drive it forward and move it without even touching the wheels. I mean, is it, uh, is there a suspension or like, how does that necessarily happen? Is it within like the confines and the flexing of the metal?
0: Um, it's mostly you. So everyone has their chair set up a little bit differently, but there's no suspension or it's how your chair is. So like my, I two anti tips well two front little wheels and a little anti tip at the back and i have all mine on the floor when some people have them on race so because i've got them on the floor i can just manipulate the wheels to get moving and as soon as they get moving a little bit it, the your main wheels go out at angles so then you can just creep forward and then that generates its own kind of speed with you, the faster you get with it but there's no suspension in the chairs, cuz a suspension would be like extra weight so anything extra like that to get rid of like the, the, no suspension, no, like even two anti-tips is too much. So you have one, so you can cut down on a whole wheel weight. Um, It's all just you. It's just you and being in tune with your body and, and being so strapped in and one with that chair that you can move it yourself using, like
1: using, well, just your, just your hips. We need like the Lance Armstrong, you know, how he had the little motor. Did, did you ever see this um, Lance Armstrong that came out that he had a little motor in his bike seat? Uh, like whenever he would go take off, he would like touch the seat. And what they figured out or they're claiming is that there was like a small little motor in, uh, in the down tube that would assist him like one to two percent, which allowed him to be able to go. So I'm wondering if I was like, dude, maybe we get some little motors in there, just touch them and shoot shoo, No, James is world champion. We don't need to, to start no. juicing. The- no, I think you give it to everybody. That way you get like a button where you get superpowers. Like Super Mario Kart? Exactly. No. All of a sudden they're going they're like superpower. Whew. Shoot. No,
2: because then it becomes like Fast and the Furious and who's got the, the bigger nas? We want it to be about <laughs> the athlete and empowering their performance through sound, training, and mind. James Key, you picked up on you need to be in tune with your body. So learning how to, to maneuver and manipulate the chair, that that is can be accelerated through training. So the more in tune you are with your body, and that's the thing that we – with the barbell, with the training style that we have that focuses on athleticism is is coordination. Strength is coordination. Speed is coordination. So the more coordination that we can develop within the training and the weight room, the more coachable, the more dynamic, the more teachable athlete that we have in there to then step into a new sport like you did and have success quicker.
0: Yeah. I, when I So I coach at my home club and one of the big things I kind of stress is nobody here is just here to be like a body on the pitch. You, I want you all to, to get the best out of you we can. And I, I kind of go right back. I, when I get new people in chairs, I make obstacle courses and things like that out of things. So I'll put chicanes and I'll put um, like T-drills and things. I'll do that, but for wheelchairs. So I'll have people running different, like, what's the way to describe it? like different routes and things in wheelchairs so they have to adapt to what they can see in front of them so i'll put um so i'll have players running around cones running pushing but i league, so i just say running without thinking and then turning right or one way and then having to go through cones and then sprint so i'll i'll do a lot of things like that which makes them have to get in tune with their wheelchairs and makes them have to adapt to how they're doing things so my philosophy is i want all the before we even start playing the game i want you to be so adaptable and flexible in your chair, that whatever situation I can then put you in on the field, you can you know how to adapt to it or whatever's in front of you. So I'm a big believer in getting people in chairs. And before you even bring the ball in, you master that first. Or not master it, but have an understanding of it where you can put a ball in and the chair bit's gone. You don't have to worry about that. If you can get to a point where subconsciously you're moving the chair and adapting to things in front of you without even thinking about it, then you give a ball. The only thing you're going to think about is the ball and it is the, the team in front of you and it is the tactics and things. It's, for me, it's, it's very, that's my approach is I want players to be so comfortable in the chair that when you face them in opposition, they're only thinking about the opposition. They're not thinking about the, the bit of kit they've got. So yeah, so outside the gym, just as much time, if not more time, goes into moving the chair. Like it goes into the sprints and the, a lot of the sprints and, and back. So defensively from watching the game is when the opposition plays the ball, you have to push up four metres to shut them down, make a tackle, turn around, come back four metres to get on side, straight back up again to make another tackle. And you're doing that five, six times. So you have to be able to push up as hard as you can with the power you've generated to make that hit, turn around, come back, and be ready to go again. And you have to be so reactive doing that. And you have to be able to do it without thinking. Like As soon as you turn around, what's in front of you is then you've got all your team next to you. You all have to be pushing up together in sync Turning the same way and any slight deviation from that, you leave space or you leave an opportunity for the opposition. So you have to be so adaptable to what's going on in front of you. But at the same time, within a team, defensively, that that's one of my beliefs is we get you to that point where you're working that chair without thinking about it. Then we get the ball. Then we start thinking the game tactics and the, the deeper things. But I want people to be so comfortable in those chairs that I can put them in any situation and they can react to it subconsciously knowing that they've got the skills to deal with it.
1: How many hours do you believe, uh, have you guys ever charted it? I mean, like, uh, you know, there's the uh, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to mastery. Whoa, 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 whoa. Anders Ericsson. Oh, sorry. we uh, team
2: Ericsson over here.
1: It, I mean, but it was Malcolm Gladwell. That popularized, popularized Anders it. Andrew, I Anderson, Anderson Power Athlete
2: Radio alum, episode
1: 298 or something. I don't know. I have to Google it, but oh, keep going. Keep raining on my parade. Um, but do you think that there's a, a like a set number of hours or opportunities to be in the chair? I mean, there's probably no way to chart it, but uh, it feels like if you brought somebody in, it's going to have to be years of just, you know.
0: It, it would be years. And my, I play for Leeds, and I can't remember if I said it in the last podcast, but I started playing 10 years ago. Um, and then at Leeds, so Leeds Rhinos, right, we lost every game we played for three years, every game. And then... The same group of players we've got, give or take one or two, and then we made two finals and lost them both, and then we won a final, then we won another final, then we won two finals, and then last year we won everything. And this year we have four players in in the England setup and a player in the Welsh setup. So that there really is ten years from us losing every single game we played to four of us playing for our home nation and winning the World Cup. So that would be hard to put into a, like a generation, but it's a good marker of. It took us five years to win our first final, and then you know the the, the progression we've been on as a team has been has been crazy, and, and the players have been there doing it all together. So we've learned how to lose, we've learned how to win, we've learned how to learn from everything we've done, and we've learned how to do it as a team as well, which has built us really close. And then we've shifted that into the international stage, where, like, as you know, every every second matters, every kind of every one percent matters. So it interesting it would be I'd, I'd love to know how long it took to maybe i'll do it
1: so how many uh how many hours a day are you in the chair
0: um probably less but it's so so we were doing a lot of because the england team spread out all over the country it'd be if we weren't playing on a weekend we'd be together and when you're doing the weekend training sessions um that's six hours a day for two days roughly four to six hours and during the week you're probably up at about spread over the week you're up at six hours in your chair really maybe more um monday to friday then you've got your s and c on top of that your conditioning on top of that because there's there's only a certain amount of time you can be in a chair before you go past the point of being beneficial mm-hmm. um, you can get people in chairs and you can i think we said this last thing you can frag them up and down all day but you're not actually getting anything out of it and, and i kind of said in the last podcast i would rather people get on ski ergs to do conditioning um, so you're doing it, you're getting sprints, you're getting um, intervals, you're working yourself that way. And then when you're in a chair, we're focusing on drills, reps, we're focusing on gameplay, we're focusing on things that are a bit less intense. Yes, we will have intensity, but we'll have the intensity and then we'll dial it back a bit and then go again.
1: So, so what this is called is uh, deliberate practice, deliberate practice, but you're also not using the implement that is associated with your sports specific training as your conditioning tool. So what you're doing is you're looking at GPP as a base and really the foundation, and you're using movements that are not identical or, or that are similar but not identical with a, like the same median. It's kind of like uh, you know, playing football or, let's say, play, playing rugby, and you're only using the drill or like the game to get in shape for your position or, or for, you know, for the demands instead of looking at like drills and training and finding other ways to train that aren't taking away from the skill set. Because a, a lot of times, it's, you know, we saw this within CrossFit, where you had people using barbells, let's say snatch, clean, and jerk, which is you know really for a one RM in terms of Olympic weightlifting, but then adding 30, 50, 100 reps at a lightweight and then using that as a conditioning tool for something that was specific to a sport. And so, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Like here's the, you almost have to protect the sport-specific environment and not overload it and find other ways to train that support it, not just putting more time and more reps into the, into the chair. Exactly,
0: and when we're, in the international camps like the the and this is not disrespectful to the the rest of the players but when we're in the international camps we're all at the same level the same ilk the same mindset the same willingness to kind of to, to do that 4 hour session that 6 hour well two two hour field sessions or something whereas when you're at your home club you have to like me as one of the coaches there I have to be thinking about my players can't focus for that long because we're a domestic club at this level. So I have to tailor the sessions and things to, I can, it's almost like you go on too long, people will get silly. I know it's a bit of a childish word, but you know, silly, people will start putting shots on people or flipping people yeah, over yeah, or yeah. trying to play kick yeah. tennis or things like that. So then you've got to tailor the session to to fit them. So but you can do your own training afterwards, but then you've only got a limit time. You can get the sports hall. And then there's a cost as well to that. Like we can't just go to a field and run around. Um, so... The domestically you will get a lot less out of it compared to when we're at England and we're playing internationally because as soon as we go in that door at England, you are with the same players with majority of the same mindset as you. And, and we have the kit and equipment and, and the staff to, to deal with it where during the week domestically you have to dial it back a bit. And that's where I find I can get the most out of the players by covering certain things and then getting them to train. And I kind of say to some of the guys, if you're not fit enough, to come here, you need to be doing that in your own time. Like here, we're here to train and we're here to play wheelchair rugby league. You guys need to be hitting the gym in your own time. We ain't got time for that here. We can't spend 20 minutes doing conditioning. and um, When that's 20 minutes, if we're playing in the game this weekend, I need that 20 minutes to cover our new defensive systems or our attacking shape we're going to structure to this team. So that time has to be used for in the chair stuff before people get silly. So like throwing balls at each other and trying to get rubber balls in basketball hoops and things like that. That's every week.
2: Wow. What's the biggest challenge you feel that now that you're taking on coaching? Cause you have leadership experience in the military and then your teammates, you've been playing with each other for a decade, you know, the ins and the outs of each other, your communications is on point, but now you're leading others in the sport. What's the biggest challenge that you feel you're facing now as a coach?
0: Uh, I don't, it's, it's not a challenge I've got now, but I think if I decide to move more into the coaching and I have to have a, a real sit down over December and think about where I want to go, like with my career now, you know, I played ten years. I've, I've played with some amazing people all around the world. I mean, I played in Australia, played in France. Um, so I need to have a real think about what I want to do with my career now, whether I want to keep playing or not play internationally, etc. So I need to have a think. But if I decide to go more down the coaching route, which is something I really am passionate about as well, it would be um, something I would think about. I don't know if it'd become an issue—is coaching people you've played with. Like that would be one where I'm like. Do you dial back the the banter? Do you know what I mean? And so you step more into the coaching role, so you kind of step away from, not not the friendship group, but do you just leave a few things out where you're like, oh, people are going out now. Like, oh, I'll give this one a miss. I'll go early. So I don't know. It's more how am I going to approach that?
1: I think you go Pete Rose style. I think you go Pete Rose where he's a playing manager. Oh, that's a good one. You know, D- uh, like I'm, I don't know if you know American baseball, but Pete Rose, uh, who's this – Still one of my favorite baseball players, but uh, he actually ended up, you know, not getting in the Hall of Fame because he actually bet on himself, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. But, I mean, I know there's a bunch of like negatives betting on sports, but the fact that Pete Rose bet on himself to win. And he- there, there's successful player coaches also. Bill
2: Russell basketball won NBA championships. Yeah. Um, yeah. D- dude, I faced that problem because I was a grad student for my college team. So that became my friends, my teammates. And now they were my athletes. And I had a, a my, my head coach at the time gave me a talking to because I guess he felt a few months into it, I was still too chummy, you know, and made the decision I'm not going to go to the bars with these guys. If they come to the bar, like, I'm going to leave. I'll take the high road there and, and give them their, their playing time opportunity. But then I was still a team captain, so they still respected me. I just took away the, you know, there was still the fun, the banter, and the training with them. I just took away the the party side of things.
0: Yeah, like the guys I play with are absolutely awesome guys, and I lo- I love them to pieces. And that's the, but luckily I'm thirty six, and most of them are like in the mid twenties. So when they're like, "Whoa, we're going go to go hit the club," I can be like, "No, mate, I'm going to bed."
1: You're like uh, sitting at a bar at like three in the morning, slugging back drinks. Does not sound like a good time to me.
0: No, well, we went out after we won the final, uh, so that finished like ten o'clock at night, and then it basically started then like the the after party and it didn't finish till saturday morning at about four or five in the morning that second night right like, we got back to the hotel and there were like the second night i was like i'm, I'm done i'm like i can't do two nights on anymore like in on top of that i had like years of not drinking really apart from the odd thing here and there and it was like loads of the younger players like yeah we're gonna go to this place now and i'm like i'm just gonna go and sit in the hotel bar and go to bed because i am done <laughs> um oh, shit. Yeah, I can't do the two-nighters. But yeah, that's that's. what I'm really passionate about. And something that's come off the back of this this tournament is the amount of people who are going to start playing the game now. Like I Last week, I um, took part in some like open sessions from our domestic club and we had nearly 50 people come and play in chairs over four nights. And even if not all of them come back, if a handful of them come back, that can be the next generation of international players and superstars. So I'm really passionate about coaching the team at a high level, the guys who are going out for trophies. And there isn't an expectation on Leeds Rhinos every year to get a trophy. But I'm just as passionate about these new players turning up who might have the same journey I had, who might have watched us play on live TV. And then 10 years later, those players might be playing for England in that venue. And if I can have an impact on coaching them and bringing them on, even just at the early stages, then that, for me, I care as much about that as I do about winning the trophy as well. So, uh, yeah, it's for me, that I want. it's going to be coaching the guys for the trophies, but also the 10, 11, 13-year-old who are coming in for the first time who might have a, a disability or something, and they're a bit nervous about it, about coming into this world. And I want to be the guy there to be like, don't worry, mate, we'll, we'll get the best out of you. This is a safe environment. We want you to come. We want you to play. We want you to be, be able to tell your friends. We want you to be able to come and have fun. But then at the same time, coach the guys Going out there every week, who are going to be playing on the big screen and the big stage. So I want to kind of put a lot of effort into both them equally.
2: Sounds amazing. That's empowering performance.
1: I think uh, before you make any decisions, um, you know, I think you gotta, I think you gotta get like get away, decompress from it, and then you got to go back and start training and see how you feel, because it might be uh, a little too early to hang up. You know, uh, I was going to say the cleats, but. I mean, hang up the tires or whatever you call, but, um, no, I, 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 like, I think you get away from it and you start feeling it and then you kind of get back into training and see how you feel. I know that happened to me, uh, towards the end of my NFL career, where all of a sudden you're like, I still got it. And then all of a sudden you're in training and you're like, I don't know. I don't think I got it. So, uh, and then maybe you got to make a different decision, but I do have some interesting, we've been tested a bunch of conditioning protocols, uh, with our fighters that, uh, as we, as we've been talking, I want to send you to see how you would test them. And more importantly, see if we could, uh, Work to create some monster capacity for your guys and see if we could test it that way.
0: Yeah, that'd be ace. Uh, yeah. the, over over winter last year, so I turned up for my so I only weigh sixty two kilograms because I'm like two thirds of a person. But when we turned up in January last year for all our like DEXA scanning and stuff, I was like sixty four kilograms because over winter last year i just got like bulking not sulking. And then I did all my DEXA scanner stuff and the guy was like, "You need to lose two kilograms." And I was like, "How hard it was for me to get them." So then I spent about three weeks just on the ski erg, like every other day, just shifting two kilograms of like of, of weight to get back to my fighting weight, and that was a dark time of just being like, right <laughs> on the ski erg intervals, let's go, let's drop that time. So I do love conditioning, but the ski there's no escape from the ski erg. Uh,
1: that's pretty wild that they've got it down to such a like interesting science that they know that, like, hey, you know this almost weight, uh, you know combined weight, weight to speed that they can kind of look at it and say, hey, you know what, you're faster two kilograms less, and I mean it's uh it's pretty amazing they've taken the science that far
0: it's great and it's all like we signed up to like one of the universities here which is right near me Le- Leeds beckett they work with the men's on the women's teams they work with the whole like england rugby league set up. so all the staff at the uni know everything about it so the one weekend they're working with the men's teams then the women's are in and then wearing so they're not only using us and our information they're using it across all three like england teams so they can dip in and out of all the information they need to, to, to cover it and a lot of that stuff filters down to us as well, being like the the third tier of the setup really, but they can, these guys are very smart and they can harvest the information they learn in the other two teams and then filter down to us as well um, and yeah, it's great, so we sometimes train there with the men and the women's team, so you're all in there together which makes you feel like hugely part of it, like we're not just the England wheelchair team, we are the England team, not the England women's team either. We are all the England team. It's amazing.
2: Okay, my last question. Is the trophy, the World Cup trophy, like a giant mug that you're able to drink out of like, once you Like win the it? Stanley Cup? Like the Stanley Cup.
0: They have screwed the lid on to stop people doing that. Uh,
2: yeah. I'm sure
1: your the, boys f- are fun rambunctious police. enough that they can break that off. Uh, the stories of the Stanley Cup are epic. I always thought that, like, the NFL should do – everybody should have something like that where all the players could take it home and do stupid shit with it. Yeah. And then did they lose the Stanley Cup for, like, five years and then they found it in, like, a florist shop? That definitely not. Ah, uh, dude, there's, it's a pretty amazing story on the Stanley Cup. No, that's killer. Dude, do you guys uh, – I mean, where does it get uh, displayed? Does everybody get to keep it for, yeah. like, a week?
0: Oh, we've got it, yeah. It's it's doing the rounds. So another thing that's amazing, like, this journey for me, this this absolute incredible journey is – the, the back, the, the stuff, the backlash of, of us being like live on TV and the fans and everything is everything's coming through. So, like, we had players go down to the houses of parliament last week to, to do like a thing down there. We've got uh, the BBC Sports Personality of the Year award next week, where the whole team's been invited, and we've got dinners and do's and, and events and everything that's coming up now. So, we're taking the trophy to all these with us. We were at the UK coaching awards two nights ago. Um, so the trophy is just going up and down the country to different events at the moment and every time it goes up someone else has to take responsibility for this like 45 grand trophy we've got and it just comes and stays in someone's house and then like (laughs) our hotel room and then it goes to the next place so whatever unit of players we've got who are doing something at the moment the trophy goes with them so yeah the trophy is to get a good tour of the country
2: how much does it weigh? I don't know a lot like it takes two yeah
0: so like if you it takes two of you, if you're going to hold it for pictures or something, it takes one either side and then it'll get heavy quite fast. I don't know, it's probably about 15, 20. Probably yeah. about 20.
1: But that's just James, for a trophy. Like, right? yeah.
2: Yeah, James, we're going to need you some power athlete gear, just curling it. We're going to need a video. We're going to need some us. funny pictures.
1: Uh, is, uh, uh, so, I mean, obviously you have your fucking IndyCar uh, yeah. wheelchairs. I mean, um, do you use, like, a uh, like what does it look like for you to get around in time of, like normal every day? Do you have something similar or?
0: Uh, I use my prosthetics. So use- yeah, I, I wear my prosthetic legs most of the time.
1: So I don't really use
0: a wheelchair outside of, outside my sport, which is another reason why when I'm in my chair training, I really want to focus on the training because I'm not getting So some of our players who are full-time wheelchair users. They, um, when they jump in a sports chair, it's very natural to them as well. I keep it, they're in the chair most of the time with me I use prostate legs to get around so when I'm actually in my chair training that, that's why I really cherish the time I'm in it to get mm-hmm. the most out of it because I'm not in a chair most of the time I'm walking around on my prostate legs but the whole team's full of people like that the, the whole team is a such a mixture of abilities and disabilities we have guys who have spinal injuries who are always in chairs amputees like myself and like said, who's missing a foot who's from a motorbike accident so the the team's just a mixed bag. It's like the Dirty Dozen of just weird injuries and, and things like that. And everyone's got like a little story and a journey of how they end up playing through an injury or a motorbike crash or for of me getting injured in Afghanistan. So it's a yeah, it's a, a mixed bag of people and who who have ended up there.
2: Okay, last last final final question. You're well you're well versed in the power athlete vernacular. What does "move the dirt" mean to you, James?
0: <sighs> yeah, it's. How, what? Do you want a short answer or a long answer? For me, it's 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 focus. It's and that's my short answer. It's focus. It's you have to be so focused. And under that, it's the dedication, the the, the training, the diet, the nutrition, the everything that comes with it. All comes through that focus. Like moving the dirt for me has been so focused on your game and your your like sport that you moving the dirt in all those different ways to get to where you want to be it's all about the focus on the sport and, and doing what you need to do in front of you
2: hell yeah james well we're celebrating right alongside you dude
1: and we can't wait to see where your journey takes you next man keep us posted and keep training dude yeah no it's amazing yeah and i'll shoot you an email i, I got some cool training protocols that i'd love to test for you guys i think we could do some really amazing stuff cool well, cool. all dude. right james yeah dude bye. Bye. see you
0: bye take care bye